Yeah, man, you never know. People are very strange these days. I used to know a girl, she had a dozen guys. One of them found out about it, beat her up so bad, she ended up in a hospital on Guerrero Street. <laughs> what a story. This is Greg Sestero, and you are listening to My Movies Better. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Excuse me, My Movie Better. What is it? I don't know what it's called. What is it called? Kevin Dillon. You ready? Son of a bitch. Trying to tell me that I dodge bullets. The wrong side of the river! I'm Michael George. Stop it. Get some help. Tony Moto, the terrorists have the president's daughter in the old bean factory off the 101. Too bad you will die. The spill is despicable. Billy, what's his name, show? Hello and welcome to the 28th episode of Five Movies Better, officially endorsed by Greg Sestero from the room. Um, Anyway, uh, yeah, this week we're covering anime again. Uh, Way back in the beginning, I think it was the fourth episode, we covered anime and uh, we said in that episode we were going to come back and do it again for the month of May. So here we are. And this week we have a loaded-ass fucking cool-ass lineup. Uh, We have two of the greatest anime movies of all time and a really interesting uh, Christmas special from much newer anime. In fact, I think this will be the most recent thing we have ever covered on the show. No kidding, really? So this week we have Akira, the legendary Akira from 1988. We have 1997-98-99, depending on where you saw it, Perfect Blue, and 2018's Neo Yokio Pink Christmas. I am your host, Kevin Hart, and I'm here as always with Dylan. What's up, dude? Dude, what's going on? I'm stoked to talk about all these movies. Yeah, um, first, too. we got our weird movie of the week. Yeah. It's a weird one. What's it called? Uh, it's called an Alan Smithy film, Burn Hollywood Burn. It is a 1997 American mockumentary comedy film directed by Arthur Hiller. It is starring Ryan O'Neill, Coolio, Chuck D, Eric Idle, Sylvester Stallone, Whoopi Goldberg, and Jackie Chan. What? It is the, the most fuck? fucking banana land Wait, sounding what thing. Year, what year did it come out? 1997. Okay, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, that... The whole but like cast. so, it's so, all over so the place. I read about this when I was researching and and I found this one and I said read like the the it was basically something along the lines of he's he is not he is a man named Alan Smithy. Uh, we covered this in one of our last episodes, but Alan Smithy is a director credit is not a real person, and it's for when a director doesn't want their name attached to a script, so they apply to have it be uh, directed by Alan Smithy. So if you ever see that in a film, it means that the director, the original director was like, I don't want anybody to know that I made this movie. It sucks. <laughs> it's like a cop right. out. You don't want. So this was a guy who, <laughs> it's a so movie funny. about a guy who's actually named Alan Smithy and he's like trying to get a movie made yeah, and so, that's like a roadblock. Yeah, so the whole the, the quick plot of it is uh, the, he's a director in the movie, obviously named Alan Smithy, like you said. Uh, and he's 
uh, being allowed to direct this movie called Trio. It's a big bu- big budget action film that's going to star Sylvester Stallone and Whoopi Goldberg and Jackie Chan. So that's how they're that's in the movie. That's why they're in they're the movie. Because they're the stars of the movie. In oh my God, the movie. a film within a film. Crazy. Uh, the studio recruits the film, and then when Smithy sees the results, which he describes as being worse than Showgirls, uh, he wants to disown the film. However, since he's already named Alan Smithy, he can't, he can't. just Alan Smithy uh. the film. Yeah, so, like you said, that's the name he used to that. And then he steals the film and then flees and like that's that I'm assuming that's the plot of the movie is him like running Fleeing, away with, yeah. he runs away with the film and he's oh. threatening to destroy it <laughs> from the title I thought he would like burn down Hollywood or it's, something I, I mean yeah he says it threatens to destroy the film by burning it so it sounds it sounds interesting I know it also won it like did really well at the Golden Raspberries yeah worst films of the year yeah it does. It won five awards, including yeah. Worst Picture. Yeah. Um, the budget was, this is hilarious, the budget was around $10 million. Jesus Christ. And it grossed around $53,000. It's like one of those bad movies where, like, they, like, got one, like, good actor to be in it, like, one famous actor, and they put him in, like, one scene, and then they spend, like, way too much money on they did like a couple million on that one actor and then nobody sees yeah. the movie like it's such a bad movie thing like oh if we only had like some washed up hollywood like western star from the fucking 50s in this movie <laughs> it would be perfect dude this is an interesting thing too mm-hmm. uh the film's creation set off a chain of events that in turn the director's guild of america discontinued Using uh, Alan Alan Smithy Smithy, as a credit in 2000. Yep. So now, if you don't want your name on it, too fucking bad. Own up, pussy. I guess what I was said about that though, when I first found out, but like, why wouldn't you just use a pen name? I mean, they'll get prescribed to you anyway. But people, if people aren't gonna know, they're not gonna. You know, that's what authors used to do. And I mean, I'm sure you could figure out pretty easily, you know, that someone was using a pen name. But like, I don't know. It's just, yeah. <laughs> it's too bad. It's too bad they don't use the old Alan Smithy thing. It's like a relic from old, old Hollywood, and I miss it. Right. I wish you could see yeah. it on like this end of like a Marvel film. Right. <laughs> so they just like for some right. reason the guy just doesn't want anything. I, to I I definitely feel like I'm gonna see that movie now just to see if it's any good. Yeah. If it's I worth mean, worth like making fun of at least. If it's like won the Golden Razzie for worst film, like that's something that yeah, I could be interested yeah. in seeing. And usually the films that win those, they're 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 good bad. There's not a whole lot of like just movies that are just straight up like shitty to watch bad. Right, right, right. So, so yeah, let's uh, let's jump right into it. We're gonna take one quick opening break here, and then uh, we'll get right into our what first film of the night, which is Michael I wanna be Michael Owens. What can I be? Michael Owens, I want to be Michael Owens! Neo Tokyo is going to change soon. <laughs> In all respects, this city is saturated. It's like an overripe fruit. And buried within it is a new seed. We need only wait for the wind, which will make it fall to fruition. Wind called Akira. The clown bastards are herded out on route number five. Why don't you sell normal drinks for a change? How about buying something for once? This ain't a hangout for damn street gags. Yeah, right. Drink your dog piss. 
motor drives on each wheel. Let's see, and these are computer controlled anti-lock brakes. Oh, 200 horses at 12,000 RPM. You want to ride it, Tetsuo? All right, let's hit it. I customized that bike for myself. It's too wild. You couldn't handle it. I don't see how you can ride something crazy like that, man. <laughs> I could. <laughs> if you want it so bad, then steal one yourself. It was a dream that I saw. A dream? The city started to crumble apart. Covered by a big shadow, and lots of people died. And the three of us, we get to meet Akira. What? Akira? The city will crumble. So many people, so many will die. When will it happen? Do you know when? Hyoko! We mustn't let that boy go. He's powerless. Akira is a 1988 Japanese post-apocalyptic cyberpunk animated film. It runs at 124 minutes and was rated R. It was based on the manga Akira, which was written and illustrated by Katsuhiro Otomo. It was also written by Katsuhiro Otomo and directed as well by Otomo. Savage. Yes. It stars uh, Mitsuo Iwata. A slash Johnny Young Bosch, as uh, who is from the Power Rangers, who's also Vash in Trigun and Ichigo in Bleach, as Kaneda, uh, Nozomu Sasaki, slash Joshua Seth as Tetsuo, and Mami Koyama, slash Wendy Lee as K. And uh, uh, Mami Koyama, I wanted to point this out, she also voices one of my favorite characters from anime, Arali. Uh, from Akira Toriyama's Dr. Slump. Uh, Toriyama, the creator of Dragon Ball Z, his lesser-known manga, Dr. Slump, which the characters did feature in uh, a, in the Dragon Ball episodes when Goku was a little boy, but uh, oh, cool. a lot of people don't know too much about that. I love Arale. She's like a little robot girl who is uh, endlessly cheerful. And Hell yeah. She's one of those, like, uh, I think they're like called Yandare. It's sort of a Yandare character in Japanese okay. where they're like, overly like hey everything's great i'm great <laughs> uh and the music was done by shoji yamashiro and i gotta point this guy out because i looked him up and i was like okay this guy is not a right from like the beginning of the wikipedia article i was like this guy is not a music guy this is the only score he ever did okay he was a professor he was an instructor uh, at a university in Japan, as well as a professor at Chiba Institute of Technology, and he was also a general manager of the Department of Kansai Brain Science. He was a composer, conductor, and producer, and is a scientist. He worked in the fields of environmental science, information science, engineering, production engineering, molecular biology, artificial life, and anthropology. And 
he also did the score for Akira. <laughs> and I was just like, what? Just tack that on the resume. And because I didn't want to go so far as to actually learn how to read Japanese or go through a bunch of translating, I couldn't figure out what the deal was with this. So if anybody out there knows, shoot me a message. I would love to find out why, what the story was behind uh, Shoji Yamashiro doing the music for this. But, very, uh, the music's awesome. It's amazing. Yeah, the it is really good. Honestly, one of the best soundtracks ever. Uh, maybe other than Perfect Blue. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have a lot of taglines. Yes. Because last week we did not. No, and the for the rest of the episode is basically the same. This one is like the tagline <laughs> champ. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right, so we got signal traced to Tokyo. This is the first one. <laughs> an exclamation point. I'm really, really excited. Yeah, it's a weird one. Uh, this is a state-of-the-art adventure. That's true. Yes. Um, 38 years after World War Three. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah, the ellipsis <laughs> makes it very serious. Uh, 2019, Neo-Tokyo. Oh, 2019? Yeah. 2019, Neo Tokyo, a never-ending puzzle begins. The trump card is top secret. Top secret. <laughs> Film to be treated as hazardous material. That's a good one because um, that's actually wrong. That was like someone who made that, like just making, like like watching, like the very beginning of the film, because the okay. film does not take place in 2019. I was gonna say yeah. I, that, that's, that's not when true. 2019 is when Akira. Uh, that's that is where the film starts, and then it's okay, thirty-eight yeah, years okay, later. Okay, yeah, okay, so okay, I okay, loved okay. that one because I was like, "Oops." Okay, so in that reality, World War Three is going to happen soon. Right, right, exactly. In, yeah, in our, in yeah our basically soon. now. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Way to go, Akira! Thanks. Thanks. Uh, all right, so uh, the next one is the definitive science fiction masterpiece. This is an unmissable anime classic. Yes. Yeah. Fact. Uh, martial law declared. Exploding energy. The year's number one most dangerous film. <laughs> yes. We have another one where they, they didn't realize that it wasn't 2019. Oh, yeah. You take this one. Oh, wait. You know what? Maybe I'm wrong about that. Now that I'm thinking about it. Mm, I don't know. I could have sworn it was because, no, because at the beginning it was 1988. But still. Anyway, 2019, the year before the Neo Tokyo Olympic Games. What did the boys see that night? What is the ultra top secret project slumbering underground? The year's most controversial film has arrived. <laughs> the year's most controversial. So film. controversial. Oh my god. Giant dead baby man kills his girlfriend. <laughs> controversial. <laughs> of the year. I like this next one. <laughs> Neo Tokyo is about to E X P L O D E. <laughs> yeah. That's like the most classic one. Actually, that's the one that I have on my VHS copy. Oh, that's really? what it is. Yeah. And uh, I've seen that used in a bunch of the the um, other posters for it. And it was also used in the Bart Kira Simpsons oh, I thing. Oh, yeah. I didn't watch that. I know you posted it's not, it's it. A, I it's, watch it. It's a manga. It's a comic. Oh, no yeah. way. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. It's amazing. It's literally... It, I might as well just mention it here. So, yeah, it's a... Someone did a loving recreation of the Akira manga, but replaced all the characters with the Simpsons characters. So yeah. fucking smart. It's amazing. All right, and we got one last yes. one last tagline here. It is the end of the world was only the beginning. It was. Wow, that is yeah. deep. That's kind of a playoff of uh, one of my favorite lines in the movie, and that is when little old man girl says... Um, but it has already begun. Oh, I just yeah. love that that little that whole little piece of dialogue where they're all talking, like the disembodied voices of the three children. 
So this movie had a huge, gigantic budget for a 1980s anime film, and that's because it was like the culminated efforts of like nine fucking studios. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. A budget of 1.1 billion yen, or $9 million, and it made about 1.5 billion yen in Japan, and $49 million worldwide. So it was a gigantic, huge success. It is the reason why you know about anime at all, no matter how much you know about anime, if you live in the United States, of course, um, because it is the thing that brought anime over to the United States big time. Right. It Like, Miyazaki had been around. There's other guys. Their films had were being played in America, but Akira was really, like, the, the thing that made anime what it is today and that's a like. huge box office pull for a movie like that oh yeah in front of the United it's, States. it's huge yes and i do i'm sure that's also adding re-releases oh, yeah, know it's like been event screen right but i also think it was at one point or another like re did, had like a re-release run in u.s theaters and in, around the world in other theaters so it could be added number but still yeah 49 million dollars yeah is pretty damn good yeah, yeah i'd say so so the critics say it is 88 percent fresh style and substance run neck and neck in this thrilling bold landmark film that just refuses to become dated said flame o'neill or phlegm film film o'neill from the guardian nice irish name handsome and preposterously ambitious and even its worst narrative missteps are a factor of that ambition tim brayton antagony and ecstasy uh but not all critics like it uh like this idiot <laughs> charles solomon from the la times who he's a huge fucking idiot he doesn't know shit and i always read his reviews and he's fucking stupid he said a compendium of the worst cliches of japanese animation two hours of chases laser attacks machine gun battles spilled stage blood computer animated backgrounds and ho- hokey dialogue all right so first of <laughs> all you, first of all charles solomon did you even watch this movie? Because it seems it sounds like you watched the fucking trailer and then reviewed the movie. Because like that's literally not what happens in the movie. There's like one chase scene. There's like one laser attack. There's like two or three like machine gun battles. Like it's it's not like it's an action film, yes, but it is not like it. it it's like he totally missed the whole point. I don't know if yeah. he watched it in Japanese without subtitles or something, but like, <laughs> what a fucking idiot. And he, it calls it computer animated. This movie was 100% hand-drawn animation. It may have been, they may have used computers in the animating process, but this is not computer animation. This was hand animation. And it, and it looks gorgeous. fucking good. It, it looks fucking tw- good. Yes. As I was saying to you, I believe, yeah, off yeah, air, yeah, yeah. It, this movie, 24 drawings per second in, in parts. Yes. Un-fucking candy. Yep. And uh, so Nausicaa of the Valley of Wind had just come out within the same year and had clocked in at about 16 drawings per second at its best. So this movie knocked it fucking out of the water. And that's why to this day, it is still one of the most beautiful looking films I have ever seen and you will ever see. So, uh, yeah, it's I don't know. You can say you could say so much about the animation, but it just really is gorgeous. It's highly detailed. And it feels like a real movie, not like an animated movie. Yeah, you know? I hope this gets to Charles somehow. Yeah, really. Fuck fucking that guy. Charles. What an asshole. Solomon. Uh the audience <laughs> score was <laughs> fuck you, Charles. The audience score was awesome too. Uh ninety percent. Uh this this bonehead. Uh <laughs> his name's Carmi. He writes 
it was an okay movie until the end made the whole thing trash. Story wasn't good at all. Ending was confusing as to what happened. What was conf- Fuck that guy. What was confusing? He disappeared. They literally say what's happening. Yeah, he's going to another fucking universe. <laughs> he created, they, like, Akira created a universe. Just listen. Take some time and listen and stop fucking, I don't know, thinking stop you're so smart, Carmi. User, user John L. You. said... Oh. I, I actually really liked this one because it, it's kind of negative. But like, I think it was also like it was like a two out of five star rating. But he just wrote John L said, "Sure looks nifty." Just don't know what the hell it means. <laughs> it's so honest. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Um, we got another guy, Aaron C. He goes, "A beautiful movie that really made me say, huh? huh? Yeah, exactly. See, it's kind of the same <laughs> yeah. same one, just in a different way. Yeah. I I well, I get people saying that. Uh, I really think it is, it's a, there's a disconnect that I see with a lot of people with Japanese uh, stuff in entertainment in general. Yeah, that a lot like of the are, user John L one that you read that sums it up perfectly where he just says, hey, it looks really neat, but I don't know what right. the hell is going on. And it's because they just don't listen as enough. Like there's a lot of stuff. Uh, this movie is very exposition-y. And so you have to really listen and pay attention to what characters are saying. That's also a thing that I think is a negative about it. I think that takes away from the movie as an experience. Yeah, it's I one mean, it thing. certainly goes all over the place. And I get where they could be coming from where they don't know what the hell it means. But right. like you said a second ago, all you have to do is really just immerse well, yourself and pay attention to what the hell they're saying. Not, not to jump too far ahead. Think about how Perfect Blue handles exposition terms of this it starts out giving you a scene that tells you everything you need to know where they're sitting with mima like going over this what the basically the opening plot and then everything else is self-contained in the movie yeah you know you don't akira is more something where i feel like you need to be sitting on fucking wikipedia and pausing the movie to be like what the hell are they talking about (laughs) because like there's and it's not stuff that will actually be in the movie so if you just have the movie without an access to other information about it it is going to be confusing um and that's kind of i think they're one of the the big knocks against it i guess so right right this movie was released on July 16th, 1988. Uh, movies released around then, since I believe that was one of those. In We've been covered this a little bit last week with Asian films that come out on weird days in the U.S. because of the time difference. Um, so there were no movies that came out on that day in the United States. However, around then, there was a lot of lot interesting of movies. movies. Yes. Uh, Die Hard. Yeah. Uh, Phantasm 2, which is my personal favorite from that season, uh, series. Arthur 2 on the rocks, which was almost the bad movie of the week. It just wasn't interesting enough. Uh, Midnight Run, License to Drive, Caddyshack 2, a, a big week for uh, sequels, sequels here. Yeah. yeah, oh my God. Cocktail, and Big Top Pee Wee, another sequel. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, that is bizarre. Sequel City around there. Uh, the top music in the United States was The Flame by Cheap Trick. Yeah. And then in the UK, it was Nothing's Gonna Change My Love for You by Glenn Medeiros. Glenn Medeiros. Yeah. Apparently, it's a jam. It's a legit jam, a bro. Legit it's jam. Y- it's yachty. Uh-oh. It's not. Yeah, Uh-oh. I know. I know. I knew. I, you I piqued didn't, my interest. I didn't say. I wasn't going <laughs> to tell you until right now. Oh, God. I'm It's in. a little yachty. It okay. definitely. I mean, it definitely starts out with a lone saxophone. Oh, <laughs> I'll okay. tell you that much. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Just fucking piercing the night, you interest know. Interest is peaked. Yeah. yeah I'll it, sail it's, away with that it, one later. Like, I, I didn't, didn't call it yacht rock. Hey, yeah. No. I wouldn't go that no, far we'll figure it out but yeah it's definitely <laughs> i mean for you listening at home it is playing in the background right now uh, if i put it in which I will, yeah 
It's a good. It was pretty good. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, in video games, so uh, in July of this year, Nintendo released the very first issue of my favorite magazine of all time, Nintendo Power. I had a lot of those. Yeah, me too. My mom threw them away. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. <laughs> yeah, I had a shitload of Nintendo Powers, and I'd read them years later. Just flip through them. They're really good, man. One of the best magazines ever. Uh, also, on July 20th, one of my favorite games ever was released. Uh, or, well, the NES slash Famicom version of Bionic Commando, which is a sick-ass uh, platformer game. It's kind of like Contra, but uh, way slower and way less like hectic shooting all over the place. And you had like a grappling hook arm you could like grapple onto stuff. Pretty sick. In August, <laughs> also, yeah. sick, dude. <laughs> In August of that year, also, Sega released Altered Beast, which is another sick game that I remember playing a lot when I was a kid. I think I remember that yeah, one. Yeah, Altered Beast was fun. So, Akira. Um, well. What the hell is this movie about, man? <laughs> yeah, let's, let's answer that guy's question. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I found this interesting video. Um, I watched this channel, YouTube channel, uh, Earthling Cinema. I gave him a high recommendation. It's very funny. It's basically it's a comedy thing, like review channel. Uh, the, the guy who does it is an alien from outer space. And he is giving you a review of the movie. And it's very, like, dry humor. Very funny. Um but I, they also become poignant most of the time. He starts talking about, you know, it's jokey, but he starts getting into real stuff about it. So he had a great video that I had to just check out. And one of the things he talked about was how this movie is really, and it's a very common theme in a lot of Japanese movies, um, post-World War II anxiety and living with uh, destruction and death like the level of, you know, the, the end of the war and the atomic bombs in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Like, so... It's a very uniquely Japanese thing. You see it in a lot of different anime and Japanese movies. Like, for instance, uh, like images of like sunken, destroyed cities that are like completely devoid of all human life and stuff like these very post-apocalyptic images. A lot of them came from Japan, and obviously that's like heavily informed by you know going obvious, through yeah. yeah and growing up in an era where that was like a big. Um, uh, influence on their parents and, and, you know, big thing that happened in their parents and their grandparents' generations and stuff. So as this world of, like, religious zealots and fanatics and corrupt capitalists and just aimless, violent, like, angry youth, uh, Tetsuo kind of personifies all of these post-world struggles and it is a way he becomes a lot like Japan. And, like, so, like, you have the mutations very similar to the, you know, mutations that happen after the bombings. But also the fact that, like, he's, like, this little brother punching bag type character at the beginning. And then he rockets to omnipotence within an hour in the yeah. film. And that's very similar to Japan going from being destroyed after World War II to the 1980s 
which was this period of just, you know, economic, the, the highest economic success the country has ever had in the modern period and has never been duplicated again. They literally call it the Japanese miracle. And, uh, you know, coinciding with like, you know, electronics companies, car companies it, from Japan becoming really big in America. So it's kind of like a film about living with the world, the thing that Japan had become. And, you know, that plays into, like, the mechanicalness of Tetsuo's, like, you know, arm that he yeah, crafts he himself. Yeah, arm. exactly. Yep. And just the way that, like, all those characters are creating these, like, bodies for themselves out of, like, anything around them. Just, like, so it's it's the mixture of human and machine. Obviously, Ghost in the Shell. That's the whole yeah. basis of Ghost in the Shell. So, like, very, very, I think, uniquely Japanese concept it speaks to something deeper than just like, you know, trying to talk about it in the terms of like, oh, you know, trying to live forever, that sort of thing. Like actually in the idea of like it personifying Japan as a place, as a country and what they had been through. So I just really liked that piece. I wanted to like throw in that because I think that's one sort of explanation to what this film is really about. Um, like it, it feels like you're dealing with a film that is about one thing but what you're actually dealing with is a film that is about a much bigger concept i guess is what i'm trying to say like yeah the metaphors it lays out for the viewer i feel like it'll take you several times to really digest the weight of a lot of those different things but it's bigger than just one start to finish message in the movie right right it also feels like a kind of like isolationist movie in a lot of ways, like I don't, I mean, again, I don't presume to say like what Otomo's beliefs are, but like in Japan, there's a very strong nationalist movement. Uh, and I believe we've talked about them on the show before at some point. Um, but they're Nippon Kaiji and basically they're, they want to kind of return to a, the imperial, you know, Meiji era Japan style of Japan. And, which is very racist, very anti-Korean, anti-Chinese, anti-basically anybody else outside of J- Japan and very self-centered on the country and its national identity and stuff like that. And, and there's been some high-profile Japanese films that have at least been accused of espousing those ideals. One of them, I think, was this is why we were talking about it, was Shin Godzilla. Oh, uh, okay. Um, seen as a very like nationalist film from certain angles and i you can see that in this film too i think one great example is uh the fact that the look at the two characters and of kaneda and tetsuo and the colors that best represent them are red and white the colors of the japanese flag like so i think that there is there is some stuff you can kind of pick at but i don't think on the whole this film is as like I think there's way more nationalistic overtones in Shin Godzilla. I also, because I, I mean, to explain the actual plot is I think pretty simple. It's basically you know a, a situation where like at the end Akira had when Akira destroyed the city at the beginning of 1988, he actually didn't. He wasn't killed. He ascended to another uh, realm of existence, I guess. And he has become like a, a god, but he lives in his own universe. And 
they, the other four, you know, the kids and Tetsuo, end up going there as well. I think actually Tetsuo kind of ends up in his own universe, very similar to Akira at the end. So it's like this resolution where, like, Tetsuo has actually, like, ascended through everything he went through. And so I think that's why people are confused by the ending, because it's not typical that a character like that gets essentially a happy ending or a positive ending. Right. You know, like... He never gets his comeuppance in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, you know? No, yeah, no. I, I would say definitely not really. Yeah, I, I think that that it's and like I have, I personally have a lot of problems with the film, even though I love it. I mean, it's one of my favorites of all time. It's one of the oldest DVDs that I own. Right. You know, that I believe about it, like Newbury Comics, when it used to be on fucking over on one fourteen, uh, like yeah, years yeah. and years ago. Um, but like. I have a lot of problems, like I said, and it's mainly the whole middle part of the story where it gets really expositiony and it gets really like it has it needs to fill up the time of about six or five novels worth of fucking information and condense that all down into a story that makes sense. So like they have to like throw all this stuff at you. The whole middle of the movie is is boring, honestly. Like, I'll just say it. It's boring. It's, it's a lot of n- just yeah. sit there, listen to long lines of dialogue, even when things are happening yep. on screen. There'll yep. be action stuff, sort yep. of chases. And there's great and, parts to that. The animation's still beautiful, but it just drags on and yeah. on. I didn't know that it was from a, like, manga series. I didn't know that it was sort of, like, cherry-picking from the series yeah. itself. And when you told me that, that made the plot make... I don't want to say it made it make so much more sense, but it made the confusion of it yes. and the really yeah. weird, elongated expositions make more sense. Right. Because they're like, oh, shit, like, yeah. we really have to piece this together. Exactly. So, like, to give you some example on this. So, like, the movie is very loosely based on the manga. It's essentially, like, smashed together from the first half of the first volume and the last half of the final volume. And the plot in general just is completely different. Like, so some examples are you have the character of Lady Miyako, who is uh, the woman with the big, like, Afro-type hairstyle who's, like, praying in different places. A lot of people think she's a dude. She's not. Um, She is a huge character in the manga who is reduced to, like, just kind of a visual, uh, symbolic sort of character in in the film. Uh, Tetsuo becomes a huge capsule addict, uh, and a lot of Akira, the manga, is actually about drug use and drug addiction, and he actually takes over the clown's bike gang. Um, the top clown guy does not get killed. The clowns like are still around for a large part of the, the <laughs> comic, uh, but someone who does get killed is Takeshi, our our uh, well, our walking little boy, not boss baby, <laughs> but our walking little little boy, yeah. Uh, Takeshi gets his head blown off by Mr. Nezu in uh, volume three, actually, yeah. Jesus. Very early, kind of early, about halfway through the story. Um, and the biggest one, uh, Tetsuo frees Akira and makes him a puppet in the great Tokyo Empire where they are worshipped as gods, Oh, yeah, and, like, Akira is alive, and he's a walking vegetable, clean slate, without any ability to do anything but, like, blindly survive, basically. Yeah, but he's not a bunch of test tubes and body parts and an egg. He's alive. Yeah, (laughs) he's been frozen. So, yeah, some, like, huge differences. Uh, 
But what is covered in the film is different, and it was essentially made specifically for the film, and but uses parts here and there. Like if you actually, I'm not going to go into grave detail about that. If you pick up a copy of it and start flipping through it, you'll kind of see what I mean right away. Right. Uh, the problem is that in the middle third of the film, Otoma feels this need to exposition up everything, and it makes a lot of those scenes just like interminable. They're like so long, they're so boring, and I couldn't care less what's happening in a lot of them. I'm literally what when you've lost that like mesmerizing feeling when you've seen the movie a lot of times, you notice stuff like that more. Like I never noticed it for years because I just loved watching the film so much. I would like not pay attention as much to that shit because I didn't need to. Yeah. For to get from point A to point B, you know. Um, and it takes so much energy, like, to to get through that part of the movie. I feel like it genuinely it's, does. Yeah. It's exhausting. Right. To carry up with all that dialogue. And, and I guess I just bring that up because that's why I would make the argument that Perfect Blue is a superior film in that way. It doesn't have that sort of lag. While it does lag in parts, Akira sags so much in really the whole, almost the whole middle third. Yeah, and that's not to say that a movie that ends up being heavily dialogue-filled is, is just lagging because it's giving you dialogue. It's the way they present it as right. really trying to patch together what they just showed you for 45 right. minutes. And of course, and I'm also not saying that the movie should be like revved up to 100% yeah. action the whole time. <laughs> Motorcycles I'm, the yeah. whole time. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying the movie can do what it did without being boring. Like that's the one rule of any film. That is the, to me, number one rule that you can never, ever break. Don't. Or I guess, yeah, I don't even know if I'm saying it right. But yeah, don't <laughs> fucking be boring, basically. Yeah, don't make me bored. Yeah, if you're boring, then you have a bad film. Like, <laughs> I don't care what anybody says, you know. And that, like, I'll even, like, people would say, some people find Barry Lyndon boring. I do not. It is not a boring film. There's a difference between slow there's a, in boring, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah there is, there is. So, and, and I think that, that that's just a, a big, big problem with this film. However, it's like so mesmerizing overall. And when you put up the fact that it is as beautiful, if not more beautiful than Perfect Blue, and it came out about 10 years before, like it's, it definitely deserves its place as like, you know, the, the titan of anime films and like basically the, um, uh, the number one, I think it is the number one anime film for if you were to just pull everybody who watches anime, it would probably come out on top as like the one that most people voted. It's their I feel favorite. like I constantly see it on the yep. top of just lists and any yep. sort of article relating to the best anime totally, things. Totally. And it deserves it. And I, I definitely think that it is as good as advertised. I just think that, again, when we're talking about films in relation to each other that that is just thing I'd point out as a, a major slump to it. And I don't, again, I don't think it, it kills the film, but it does to me, make it not as good as our next film, which right, was my right. pick. And is, uh, is Akira in that book that you have that crazy oh. thousand? Let, I like, let's figure that Hang out. Hang on one sec. Let me check. So yes, Akira is one of the 1001 films you must see before I love you die. This book. And we also quickly looked up Perfect Blue is not. And I'm a bunch of, of idiots. Yes. But but 
same year as Akira, another very, very good, and I understand why this one's in here, uh, animated film uh, directed by Iso Takahata, uh, Grave of the Fireflies came out. And that oh, is oh, yeah. in here as well. So I'll give him that much um, of a... And I uh, I think that, again, just kind of like what we read it again and again, it's like I, I don't want to waste too much time talking about a lot of like the stuff in Akira because I feel like it's something that's been over a bunch of times it's not like i really i really want to get to the next film that's my problem yeah. <laughs> i really want to talk about perfect <laughs> well Blue. let's dive in let's all right do it. fuck it so we're gonna take one one other quick break here and then we will jump into perfect blue so then all systems are numbered yes video game review so okay last week harley and i reviewed ultra environment Whack to the curb. It has got to go. Whack. 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 So today, we're going to take a look at Akira. Well, Akira. Rocky! That it is. I mean, they got psycho pigs and turbo thwacking. And with kick fighting, surfing, babe shaving, how can you go wrong? Your kids are freak from Akira. So, I lied. That's why you just heard more Akira stuff, because guess what? This week's Game Corner is very short, because there has no video game things that really seem to have to do with Perfect Blue, and there's none that had to do with Neo Yokio. However, there were a couple of Akira games made. Whacked! Whoa. Yeah, including, very first, a Nintendo, well... Famicom, which is basically, if you don't know what Famicom is, it is the name for Famicom and Super Famicom, Nintendo, Super Nintendo. Same thing, only they had a different box, and like, you know, the console looked different, but it was the same fucking thing inside. So, for the NES, but not in America, so for the Famicom, they released an Akira game. It is terrible. At least I feel like it's terrible because I can't play it because it's in Japanese, and the way it's like a... I don't even know what you would call this game because it's not an RPG, but it's like you like have options of dialogue and like doing different things. Like you can like look, walk, and I, oh, this is only inferring from what I read. Yeah, like like, the, like an original click-based game. Yeah, like, yeah. and it's like, like a oh, Telltale you can, game. Yeah, you can like look, and then it like a little pointer will come up, and you can like move it around the screen and like click on something. So you, it's kind of like Monkey Island or something like that. It's like an adventure <laughs> game, and I was like, wow, this is not what I expected. Weird. And so I played it a little bit, but it was in Japanese, and yeah, I don't know really how to can't read. Can't make Japanese. any progress. Yeah, there. <laughs> so I was kind of screwed there. So oh uh, that was cool. But then I also found out, and sadly, because I couldn't get it working, I had on the emulator. Um, there was also a Amiga CD game for it. Uh, There's an, also an Amiga Sega. Oh my God, I'm <laughs> fucking this up big time. There was also an Amiga CD. Uh, game that was made bearing the Akira name. I could not play it, but I did watch like somebody else playing it, and oh my god, this game looked ridiculous. It was a platformer. The first level was driving a motorcycle with guys shooting at you as Kaneda. The second level was going through the hospital full of like dancing bunnies and like, st- yeah, from as Tetsuo. Yeah, when he's freaking out. Yep. Then there's another level where you play as Tetsuo doing something else, like right around that time in the movie. Then a level where you play as Kaneda going through the sewers. 
And I think that was the end of the game. That was what? the last level. Yeah. <laughs> we then you fight like you fight Tetsuo, but yeah, he's like yeah, the yeah. boss. The levels seemed wicked fucking long from this. It was like a two hour let's play. And I was like just skipping through it and I couldn't believe like how long some of the levels were. Oh and I was like, God, this is the awesome. same backgrounds. Yeah. That's fucking awesome. Um, so I couldn't tell you if it's fun or not to play, but it honestly didn't look that much fun. Like it looked like it was just a straight up <laughs> platformer. So for our little game corner, there we go. We did have a couple little Akira games. Um, and yeah, so now we're going to move and jump dive straight into head first to kevin's pick. perfect blue yes http oh something came up hey i'm not so bad at this now let's see there it is it was just terrible i screwed up the choreography and forgot my lyrics i feel so sorry for all my fans this morning when I got off the train, left foot first, all the bad stuff started. I always make it a point that my right foot goes first into the train and into the bath. <laughs> Somebody sure knows me. What's this? Today was my 21st birthday. Yukiko, Rei, and the staff at the agency held a party for me. It was terrific. Coming home, I went grocery shopping at the usual store. I bought myself mineral water and milk. I get the best water and the milk just has to be cow brand. I have to allow myself at least that luxury. And of course I get the right brand of food for my precious fish, the kind they like. May 12th, I was impressed with Eddie Ochiai's performance in Double Bind. She becomes another person in the camera's room. Where did this come from? How do they know so much? You just have to keep getting in my way. But you don't have to worry. Pop Idol is always protected by her fans. They always listen to any favor that I, Mima, ask them. Although Mr. Mamania failed just a little bit. But it doesn't make any difference. You reap what you sow, especially about you. So uh, I'm going to start it off with a quote from the late, great Satoshi Kon, the director. This is how much he loves this yeah. movie. Uh, We're going quotes. Exactly. This one gets a quote to start deep, off. It's a deep cut. Viewers are too used to being deliberately treated, being treated kindly. So I've broken this pattern deliberately. Perfect Blue is a 1997 Japanese psychological horror thriller animated film. It has different lead states. So sometimes you'll hear it being released in 99 or 98 because it was released in the U.S. in 99 and uh, in Japan in 98. But it was first shown and first released at a film festival in 1997. Anyway, it is 80 minutes long and it is rated R. It's based on the novel Perfect Blue Complete Metamorphosis by Yoshikazu Takuchi. And the film was written by Sadayuki Murai and directed by Satoshi Kone. 
It stars in Japanese and English, respectively. Junko Iwao, who is an actress and singer, best known for voicing card captor Sakura in Japan, and Bridget Hoffman, who is credited as Ruby Marlowe for some reason. Um, she's another like anime voiceover I wonder why that regular. Is. I don't know. A lot of times uh, with this, both these films, I found that a little bit, and I wonder if it was like an old thing like people did because it was Japanese animation. I don't know. People Weird. are fucking strange, yeah. right? Uh, and so they voiced Mima, respectively, in English and Japanese, as I said. Uh, Rika Matsumoto, who is an actress and singer from the J-pop group The Jam Project, and voiced for t- uh, uh, Satoshi, a.k.a. Ash Ketchum in Pokemon, and Wendy Lee as Rumi, uh, Wendy Lee from Akira, as we just said, mm-hmm. and uh, as Mr. Mimania, Masaki Okura and R. My- Martin Klein, who the coolest thing I found about R. Martin Klein was he was the voice of uh, Bokemon slash Goromon slash Akakuman in Digimon anime. The little fucking like like fire. Oh, the little uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, Charmander with a big yeah, head. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> Uh, and the music was by Masahiro Ikumi. I could only find one other credit, which was a 1983 animated series called Special Powered Armored Troop Dorvarak. And uh, he was... He, he that was, really rolls off the yeah, tongue. He was specifically credited for the score and then separately credited for I Know Tenchi, which is the first song you hear in the film. Cham's first song. Right. Um, two taglines for this one. Nice, short, sweet, to the point, because it's a great movie. We don't want to spend a lot of time on yeah. taglines. Um, the color of illusion is perfect blue. Yes. That is crazy. And then, that oh, that is awesome. That I just like, fired me up it. right now. Um, and then the other one is, excuse me, who are you? Excuse me, who are you? Yeah. Yes. That's, that's, that's another good one. Because that's a thing. one of my favorite lines in that film uh, just because of how much it says about the rest of the film and the fact that it is part of the script that she's performing for, all that stuff. It's such a great line. Might as well use it for the tagline, right? Right. Um, this budget is not that big. No, no, no pretty small. Big? Yeah, it's at 90 million yen, which is about $687,500 US. It around about there. roughly, exactly. <laughs> Somewhere around there. Yeah. And then the box office it pulled uh, $678,050 yeah. in the United States and the UK. But that doesn't include uh, what made it worldwide. And this number includes uh, the 1999 release and the 2018 re release, which obviously added a shit right. ton of money. Right. So, yeah, originally in the US, when it first came out, it made about. 200,000 uh and then when it was re-released in 2018 it made about 500,000 so kind of inflated numbers technically it was a in in its time it was a flop because they spent way more than they made um and critics are pretty rough on this movie too which is something I was surprised at um it is 77% fresh um but I found a lot of of negatives Uh, For instance, the action is wrapped up with a slightly ridiculous reveal, which doesn't quite make sense on its own terms wrong, but Perfect Blue has its own kind of cult pungency. And I fucking hated the end of that when he said cult pungency. Peter Bradshaw from The Guardian. Yeah, shut up, Peter. 
You you smell bad. You, that's what you said. You said that it smells like a cult or something. Is that yeah. what you're trying to say? We're using pungency. Yeah. Him and Charles can yeah. go. These British hang boys. The guys in the guys the from the Guardian are always so snippy. What they're assholes. just they're just mad that we won World War Two. <laughs> that's a dumb joke. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, perfect. Suck bl- it, Peter. Yeah, we won. Peter. He's probably from the U.S. Watch. Uh, perfect <laughs> Blue is every Spice Girl, Sherelle, and Supreme of your refashioned and recast in Bergman's persona an edgy new career indeed. Tara Brady from the Irish Times. I think that's positive. I think that she's saying that it's kind of feels like it's Bergman, but also feels like the the Spice Girls. I, I guess that's I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> And then the last one from Wendy Eyed from the Observer UK. I found it very hard to get past the eroticized approach to rape and sexual violence, which is a pervasive stain on this otherwise intriguing film. Okay, I hear that a lot, and I disagree, but I can understand that. I can't tell somebody else that they don't like how that feels, but I think that that's kind of the whole point, is that she's over-eroticized and that then she escapes from that. But okay, I guess that you know better than the than than I do. <laughs> I just yeah. I just feel that I, I don't I don't know. I never get that that part of it. I can understand being like I didn't like it because I It's really uncomfortable. Yeah, that's the point. And that's and yeah, and they do that really It's well. not even real. Right, exactly. It is the it is quite literally the most brutal scene like that in a movie ever, and it is the only one of those that no rape is actually taking place. Because the it's the reality that is being created in that moment, essentially. And everything around her becomes the blurred line. It is when the film breaks, basically. It is when Mima breaks and her reality begins to split into these different divergent paths. And so, like, without that scene, I don't understand how the rest of the movie works. The whole point of the movie is about pop idols and Hikikimori. Pop idols are over-sexualized by Hikikimori. They're these beautiful girls. They're loved by these disgusting men. You know, that the whole point of it is the over-sexualization and her trying to break free of that. So this whole Wendy-eyed doesn't know what the fuck she's talking about and apparently has never read a story before because that's how you build a story. I can understand not liking it, that particular scene, but understand where it fits in the rest of the story if you're a fucking critic. You know, yeah. you can't just be like, oh, I didn't like it because of my political views. That's not being a critic. I'm sorry. It's not. You can you can say I politically disagree with that, but like that isn't just a reason to call it a pervasive stain. I know I'm really going on this, but I no, will defend this movie yeah, to the death. I feel like those are pretty aggressive words yeah. for a professional critic to take. Yeah, especially with it when it's a film that's so obviously doing that on purpose. Yeah. It's like did and you that miss creates, that? Yeah. That creates the conflict that creates this like you said the splits in reality yep. that creates what in turn is the whole story right exactly and it, without those scenes like that yes they make you uncomfortable they're stretched out and you shouldn't feel comfortable watching something like that and if you start looking at the actual idol industry from the time that's what it was right it's not it's not wrong about what was going exactly. you know what I mean and I, so I just think that it was it was shown in a way that like you said they cut the lines of what's real and what's not and it's really hard to tell yeah up until that point not so much but there's where it splits and to use that scene that creates the whole thick of the plot as a stain against right, it right. is stupid. Yeah. So there we go. We cr- we're critiquing the critics for their bad sorry, takes. Sorry, Wendy. You're probably a I'm not. great person. <laughs> but, but. This film is perfect. <laughs> um, the audience is a little more positive about it. Um, it was 88% positive. 
yeah. for that one. Uh, this guy, one of the users, uh, Pierre Luigi. Yeah. Pierre Luigi says, uh, classic Hitchcock cat and mouse game with Lynchian surreal imagery. A major influence in Aronofsky's Black Swan. In fact, Aronofsky purchased the rights to Perfect Blue to use in some of the scenes and imagery in Black Swan. Yeah. That's a fact. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I agree with the Lynchian imagery for sure. Right. He's actually not quite right about that. Uh, Darren Aronofsky owns the American film rights to Perfect Blue, and he used it for one scene, which is when she's in the bathtub. Yeah, and it's not a major yeah. influence no, in the movie. But uh, yes, I would say it is, because, I mean, would? the basic story of... Yeah, the basic story I guess I'd is, have to watch Black Swan again. I haven't watched it in a long time. That movie is I think I believe freaky, I have a breakdown, so we'll hang on one sec. I think in a little bit later, a little bit later we'll be able to come back cool, to that, because cool, I believe cool. I have... Yeah, I wrote something about that. So, this film came out uh, in Japan... I, I just went with the 1998 date with the theater release date. So February 28th, 1998, on a Saturday. Uh, in the U.S., some films that were released that day were Dark City, which is a big thumbs up for me. Um, my friend Alvaro suggested that movie to me a while ago, and it's really fucking good. So that one came out this day. Cool. Kurt and Courtney also came out this day. And uh, another movie which almost got Weird Movie of the Week, Kippendorf's Tribe which is actually a pretty funny Richard Dreyfuss like 90s comedy uh, where he plays, you know, a stuffed shirt Jewish guy doing something, the professor character going to Africa, and it's really bad and really funny at the same time. I don't know how to describe it, but it's just, again, not quite as cool as an Alan Smithy film. Some other films that were released around this time were one of my personal favorites, The Big Lebowski. Hell yeah. Yeah, great film. Uh, Blues Brothers 2000, not so great. Nope. Uh, the, another one of my favorites, The Replacement Killers, starring Chai Young Fat, and our weird movie of the week, an Alan Smithy film, Burn Hollywood, Burn. Which I would like to watch now. Yeah, me too. Um, the top songs around that time. Uh, in the United States, it was My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion, because the Titanic came out a few months before that. Um, and then it would soon get replaced, though, by a way, way doper song <laughs> and one of my no, go-to no, no, karaoke no, no, no. Uh, Dude, that's one of my go-to fucking karaoke songs. Getting Jiggy With It by Will Smith. Seriously, that song is awesome. Uh, Big Willie style, all in it. Uh, <laughs> In the UK, it was also, oh, it just got knocked off. Uh, but yeah, by, it was also My Heart Will Yeah, it was go My on. Heart Will Go On, of course. Uh, but it was knocked off by a Britpop one-hit wonder, Corner Shop, uh, with their hit Brimful of Asha. Kind of basically like little uh, like blur slash... Um, Oasis style. Oh, band, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like every other Britpop yeah, band. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's basically, yeah, 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 it's basically every Britpop song you've ever heard. It's not bad, but it wasn't yeah. like, didn't like stand out to me. Definitely Maybe is a really good album, though. Oh, yeah, I love that. I love that album. I, I think I think that's the, their best album. Yeah, Personally, I yeah. yeah. I Live Forever is my favorite song by them. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> um, so in video games, this is a pretty big video game release day, actually. Uh, we had Army Men 3D. And uh, MLB 2000 Hell for the PS1. Yeah. I was a huge fan of the Army Men game. Oh, really? Man. I don't think I ever played. They it. were like they were like kind of uh they were real time strategy games with little plastic Army Men 
Um, you'd think they were like somehow connected with Toy Story, but they weren't. Right. Um, also, we had Beetle Adventure Racing for the N64 <laughs> and Star Wars X-Wing Alliance and Heroes of Might and Magic 3 it came out for the PC. Fuck yeah, dude. That so, Star Wars X-Wing game yeah, is so X-Wing sick. Alliance was great. Um, some other notable games, though, also from this time. Uh, this was, uh, I think it was about a month or so after Final Fantasy VII came out for the PS1 as well as WCW Nitro mm. and the first Mario Party game for the Nintendo wow. 64 That's and there's one. one other thing that happened oh, uh, boy. I only put it in it was a little bit out of the realm because we're talking February and this is <laughs> July but I saw this and I went you motherfucker gamer and I use that term loosely. I use that term like when people say like gamer, like bad, like when they're talking about like little Nazi incel kids, oh, like yeah, that yeah, kind like of gamer. gamer yeah. Billy Mitchell, fuck Billy Mitchell, scores a perfect. Uh, and I think this was actually one of the ones that that he did do live. I don't remember, but this was when he set his Pac-Man score, which I believe has been taken away from him because of all of his cheating. If you want to check out a really great film about a really huge douchebag and a really huge hero that is a documentary, you need to check out uh, The King of Kong, Fistful of Quarters. About oh, that's Steve, great. I yeah, forgot about that. Steve Wiebe versus Billy Mitchell. Billy Mitchell sucks. Anyway, moving on. Some other notable stuff. Last little notable thing. In the news, February 12th, the United States President Bill Clinton is acquitted in impeachment proceedings in the United States Senate. So when everybody says that Bill Clinton was impeached, just remember he was actually acquitted. And this podcast <laughs> is the proof. Anyway, Dylan, Dude, what did you think? I was so happy that you picked this movie. We watched this together. Yeah, it was really nice. Um, I'd never seen it before. Oh, I'd never seen it before. Um, it was crazy in the sense where... It was captivating from start to finish, and then about 30 or so minutes left. Well, there were just so many twists and turns mm. that you don't see coming. I was and being a first-time mm-hmm. watcher of it, and I know it's a classic. I know I should have seen it before, but seeing all those with fresh eyes was crazy. Um, I remember at the end of it, we talked about how it would be... I thought it would be perfect for a live-action one. It was one of the few anime movies that I've seen that I thought could be redone live-action perfectly. Well, check this out. Do you see this, your next line here? Oh, God. Yeah. So, it was... <laughs> <laughs> wow, how about that? I know. Um, it was originally conceived as a live-action feature, but became an anime when a bunch of people backed out of it uh, pre-production. Okay, that makes sense. Yep. And, yeah, they, it's interesting because uh, I also heard something about the fact that... Um, in when they were when they were making it they like also decided that it would have been better for an anime for some reason i don't remember or it was something like that but i always wondered if like because satoshi kone was really known for this style that was like hyper realistic and then super like dreamy or whatever you know like reality bending that he would do and i always wondered if like this was part of the reason why he got that style because he had worked on stuff like jojo i mean i'll go into it a little bit more on the stuff he had worked on he had worked on a lot of anime Mm -hmm. and for him to then come with this really like super highly stylized but also super realistically stylized 
animation. I always kind of wondered if this was like sort of one of those, like just a moment in time that it just so happened that he got started working on this film and that became like his style after that. Right. You know, cause uh, like we were saying earlier, um, it does say that the several backers had pulled out, but I also read that, that like there, I've read like four or five different things about why it was made into an anime. So I don't really know which one's like the actual truth or if it's like a combination of all this different shit and it just happened that way. I want to correct something actually you said earlier. So uh, Darren Aronofsky does own the American film rights, but he actually purchased them originally for Requiem for a Dream. It was not Black Swan. Oh. Yeah. So it, and I always forget that. So it's the scene in Requiem for a Dream where she's under the water. And uh, so that's why people say there's a lot of similarities between your two films, like how you have Mima and Nina. You also have, uh, you know, she's, in a pop group, she wears a tutu. Nina in a ballet class wears a tutu. Uh, they both suffer traumatic experiences. They both have their psyche altered from the experience. Uh, both films contain substantial amounts of blood, sex, violence. Main character is sent a threat. Uh, with Mima, she gets a fax. With Nina, it's the mirror in the ladies' toilets. Um, both titles contain colors. That's just a little one, but hey, there you go. Yeah, I mean, that exists. Speaking of colors, uh, I want to call this next segment Perfect Red. Yeah, which made a lot yeah. of sense when we talked about it off air. Yeah, so the the use of red in this film is like really astonishing. Uh, it subconsciously creates a deep sense of dread when you're watching it. And characters that are in danger are increasingly surrounded by this red color until it envelops them. So, like, for instance, in the computer scene where you have, like, that zoom on Mima and, like, as it zooms in closer and closer, eventually there's just literally, like, a red backdrop behind her and it makes it look like, like, the sky is red, you know? Like, it's, like, almost like they stylized it like that on purpose. But it literally just is something in the background. Again, like, using... He's making this movie like it is a film, not, like, using the normal anime techniques of, like doing some light effects because it's like you know abstract it's like no that's actually in the room really brilliant stuff yeah it's very um, twin peaksy feeling yeah at a lot exactly of times. exactly some other great notable examples are so there's the red pipes behind the screenwriter um as well as the the red floor of the elevator right before he dies uh Rumi's red shirt and red car as well as Mima's red car at the very end of the film which may actually be the same car um, and I like this one. The three primary colors that are represented by Cham. And so you have green and blue for the other two girls and then red or pink for Mima. You see that all over the film. Like she even has in her bedroom three pillows that are one of each color. Like there's this big representation of like those three colors and the dynamic of them. So like later on in the film when Cham is performing as a duo, they're in green and blue and there's this empty space in the middle and it's all pink space. Okay, like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and then Mima appears in Mimania's mind. Oh, and shit. right. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that scene for a second. Yep. And of course, probably most importantly of all the red of no, wait, I'm going to stop real quick. Cause I forgot to do something at the top of this episode. Before we're talking about perfect blue, if you are listening to this podcast and you've not seen the film, perfect blue, stop. Shut off this podcast right now because I'm about to ruin it for you. And if you have not seen it, 
I don't care. Stop listening. Go, you need go to go watch, watch the, the movie, movie before you finish this because if I ruin it for you, you should. I will tell you to never see the movie <laughs> because it will not be the same. It will not be the same. I'm so happy that I didn't know a thing about this yeah, movie going right? into it because right? if I did, it would have taken away so much so, from it. Biggest so spoiler leave, alert leave. of all time. All right, they're gone. So now you've <laughs> seen the movie. Everybody's seen the movie. We all know Rumi's the bad guy. Okay. So the bit blood red color of Rumi's Rumi Mima's outfit, which contrasts from the pink or the white that you see her in, the real Mima in earlier. Um, and you also see this inside Mima's mind's eye. And you also see an interesting thing is at um the the in the rape scene, she's wearing that white color, but the fringe is red. And I don't know if that's a lighting effect, but like it's all over the place. If you could just literally stop the movie every time you saw red, you'd be stopping the movie every five seconds. It's, yeah. it's insane when you start looking for it. And once you um, pointed it out to me, I made, it made me think back. And right, I was like, wow, that right. is really everywhere in every scene. So why is this movie called Perfect Blue? Why do you think this movie is called Perfect Blue? Dude, honestly, you asked me this the other day, and I couldn't wrap my head around it. Because it didn't add up, other than like, per, like perfect being like what she was looking for in her career-wise, going positive, everything being a success, and blue being the crude reality that it was actually showing. Right. right. So like a like a positive negative. Right. Sort and, of thing. and I think also about this, the idea of like blue referring to blue work or blue films, which means like pornography yep. or stuff like that back in the day. Um, and perfect being the perfect Mima that she's supposed to be for everyone. I think that that's an interesting uh, take on it. There's a bunch of great, like, theories. Because I think that even, like we said at the top of this, um, Perfect Blue is a novel. And so it's kind of hard to, like, without reading it, which I haven't, like to be like, oh yeah, when you read the book, it totally makes sense. But I didn't hear right. anybody say that. So I don't think that that's, I think it's it's hard to tell from both sources why it's called that. Um, and although the film is an extreme departure from the book, just like Akira manga and book, uh, like for instance, in the book, uh, Ochiai, the other actress, is another pop star and a rival of Mima who ends up getting brutally murdered. Mima does not become an actress. She just becomes more risque as a pop idol. And Mamania alone, not Rumi, is the villain. So he still kind of feels like a red herring, but then he's like a... It's almost like he becomes... They become... Becomes an unkillable monster at the end, more akin to like Michael Myers or Jason than what you see in this film, which I think is a way worse ending than the film's ending, you know? Yeah. Um... So, again, you know, the, there's the idea of the, the, the perfection stuff. There's also the idea of uh, perfect blue sky as, you know, the end of the film. She sees the perfect blue sky. I think that's a little bit, like, thin. I don't really like that one. Yeah, that's kind of But I'd like to add to it, so, like, the idea of the conflicting colors. So, perfect blue being Mima's search to be freed from the surrounding red that threatens to suffocate her. Or finding peace or freedom or living in tolerance of it. Like at the end, there's a perfect blue sky and she's in a red car. I don't know if that's maybe a way you could kind of look at it. Like 
especially with bringing in that whole red idea like she's being constant now like blue is the op it's the cultural pop cultural opposite yeah you know totally. of red. It's, yeah and if you know, red is like totally swarming her she wants the blue right exactly you know in a perfect blue you know or something however blue doesn't exist Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, blue, not nature. <laughs> I had to say that. No not such nature. Thing as perfect yeah. blue. However, Satoshi Kone gave us an answer in an interview. And here's what he said He said, That's a frequently asked question, and at the same time, one I find very difficult to answer. To be honest, I used it because it was the title of the original novel. I presume the words had some significance, but as I changed the story and probably the subject as well, I guess the meaning was lost. I can only guess because I didn't read the novel. <laughs> yeah. He did not read this. Uh, I simply read through the rough plot, which was described as close to the original story, unquote, in the project plan delivered to me. We discussed changing the title, but I like it. It sounds significant and mysterious. Yes. So basically, he just thinks it sounds cool. Yeah. He's like, oh, it's a very blues, sweet man. I'm in. It feels like oh. something. It feels like a quote Kubrick would have said. You yeah. know, just, oh, I didn't even read the book. Yeah. Fuck that. <laughs> I made like the yeah. one of one of the best movies anime yeah. ever seen, and I didn't I, even read. I what just it was had. Based I, on. <laughs> I had some like grip or best boy read it for me and then had him write like an outline. And then I just changed everything because it wouldn't work as a movie. I, I think that that's the, that's, but that's what great directors do. They go, okay, this is a great, like, okay, I like that idea. We'll move on here. Cause like, I think that the main idea he was going for, there's a lot of interesting stuff that kind of surrounds the, the background of like where this, this film comes from and where the, I guess really where both these stories come from the film and the book. Um, and I kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier. So you have the conflicting ideas of pop, st- pop idol, and and otaku, is essentially like the two main forces in this story. So you have, you know, pop idols who are these infantilized girls. They're supposed to act like they're very young teenagers. They're not highly sexualized. They're like perfect. And then you have otakus who are literally an otaku. In Japanese, the the Literal English translation is somewhat something along the lines of someone else's house. And it means like it's negative. It'd be like if you're like, oh, yeah, that guy likes the Bruins a little bit too much. You know what I mean? It's like they're crazy. They're insane. Like if they if they ran into their favorite actor from this movie, they'd fucking kill them to have their eyeballs like, you know what I mean? Otaku are crazy. And so it's meant to be like it's a derogatory term. Like it was, I think, originally coined by a, a Japanese comedian. So, so the idea is like you're saying it like, oh, they're an otaku. It's like you're saying like they're, they're they don't they don't do anything. They live off of someone else's. They're in someone else's house. They live yeah. off of someone else's fame or whatever. You know, they yeah, don't have their sense. own life. Um, and so, like that really plays into this whole thing of you know the obsession that me, Mr. Mimania has and how he literally thinks he owns a piece of Mima. And not just him, but also Rumi. They both think, and Rumi like almost is like, to it. yeah, and Rumi's almost both things. She's kind of like, she's a bit pop idol because she used to be a pop idol, but she's also a bit of an otaku because she's a little bit obsessed with Mima, just a little bit, a little you know? Bit. Um, and, and so I think that, yeah, you, with those two conflicting ideals, you have a very unique story that at the same time is super relatable to a lot of different people, especially female pop stars. In fact, Madonna played a bunch of clips from Perfect Blue on a tour that she did it around this time. 
And I could see that being something that someone like Madonna would see this and be like, yeah. Like, like the, I get yeah, it. Yeah, just the shit that you must imagine that those people like hear or see the or letters are they sent. Get. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's like the freakiest fucking exactly. part of the whole thing exactly. is because so much of it is rooted in reality. And like I was saying right when we started talking about this movie, how I felt that it could be recreated in a very real sense of live action. Right, right. Uh, you can't, you like can't get that with Akira. I feel right. because aside from the fact that it is super surreal, right. everything that's happening, it's just even down to little interactions and little plot points are just borderline inhuman. Right, and I feel right. like with Perfect Blue, all these interactions are very natural definitely. interactions definitely. and there's something that you can definitely recreate. What do you think the real reality is in this film? As far as like what like time period or what the world well, like, is like? or well, like, like what do you think happened? Oh, what do I think the outcome is? No, like, like what actually happened in the film? Oh God! Like it's... after that scene, like, 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 like after the the end after scene? reality breaks, like, what do you interpret? Like, what, like, like, who is the murderer? It's so hard to tell. They just really set you up yep. in this corner. Like they, I feel like they want you to think that that Rumi is the 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 psycho stalker and gets killed, and then uh, she's safe. From right, right, but I, I don't think there's a clear answer. Oh, me, to that. Wait, you mean Mimania gets killed, and then Rumi's in the because Rumi's well, in. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mimania gets killed, and then Rumi is the villain. Right, and right. then like Rumi getting killed at the end. And Rumi doesn't get killed though. Who falls on Remember, the? Remember, she gets she yeah she does get stabbed and she almost gets hit by a truck, but then at the very end she's in a mental institution. Oh right, 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 right. Because right. Mima saved her. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, so right. she doesn't die at the end. Right, but well, but I I think okay. So what's interesting about the way that the film breaks reality, and I always come back to this one particular scene. I mentioned to it you uh, mentioned it to you earlier. The scene where the photographer gets murdered, and it actually, it's a very famous, it's one of the things they used in the marketing of the film. It's Mima stabbing him to death while pictures of her are being prominently, you know, nude pictures of her are being prominently displayed. So it's like the face-in-face -face thing, where it's a huge picture of her face from a different time and her stabbing him to death in front of it like a projection. And uh, the problem with that scene is that you can't believe anything that happened in it, because that's not what happened. Because unequivocally, at the end of the film, Mima did not kill him. Yeah, they show you that right. later. Yeah. Well, I don't think they actually fully show you, but like, if she had, she wouldn't be free. You know what I mean? That's just like it. It wouldn't work that way. It would have yeah. had to have been one of the other two. So my question was always, well, who did what? Like, who killed who? And I think the film actually answers the question for you. And it was this time that I noticed this. This is the first time. When we watched this time, it was the first time I noticed this. So when in the film, when you see Mimania on the computer, it shows him speaking in Mima's voice in like the disembodied like, oh, it's me, Mima. Basically the roomy Mima voice, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And you immediately think that's him creating the website. Now, that is true. However, I don't think he's the only one who is working on the website. I don't think he's the only one who... I actually don't think he created the website. I think that that... And I've heard people argue about this, but I think that the film, like I said, answers this question. Mima's room is where Rumi literally fucking lives. She calls it Mima's room. 
She's the one who set up the computer for her. When Mimania talks, he's not typing, he's reading. And when he literally is chatting, online chatting with her, he is talking to Rumi, messaging her, and it shows him doing the same thing where he's reading her, what she's writing in her voice. He is an unwilling, an unwitting patsy to the murders. Right, I don't think me right. to what she's doing. It's hard to tell whether or not Mamania committed one or two or all or none. Or yeah, it's so Holy hard fuck. to tell, right? And I really and I think I think what's great about it is that I'm not even trying to sit here to give a definitive answer. I have ideas on what I think happened, but I don't think that that's important because the film doesn't give you the right clues to actually figure it out, other than what you're left with in the end. But you still, it still could have been a situation where it was just like, well, we're going to blame it all on her. She's too crazy to stand trial. So she ends up in an institution and that's the end. Mamani is dead. Everybody else is dead. Mima goes on with her life. So I, I think that like, I, that's why I put that quote in there earlier from the critic about it not being a good ending not being a good reveal and twist it is one of the best it is probably the best hidden twist he's just mad because he didn't notice it yeah like i mean you, you were right across from me when we watched it i was jaw dropped yep, like, exactly. the last it's, act it's of that shocking movie. but it makes so much sense let me outline it for you she's always talking for mima early on in the film there's so many scenes where it's like her and tatakoro the other manager talking and mima's just sitting there not speaking almost at all in the whole scene and Rumi is speaking for her and then later on obviously during the filming of the rape scene she is literally brought to tears yeah, she's and like runs down. out of the room yep she is feeling the effects just as much as Mima is she's living through Mima I think the biggest one though is something that got cut from the English version and it makes the film even more crazy to look at. And that is that at the very end of the film, when she looks into the rearview mirror and says, it's the real me, in the Japanese dub, it is Rumi's voice actress. And it is, you're supposed to know. It is not Mima's voice. And you're like, wait, what just yeah. happened? Is she Rumi? Like, what just happened? Are they, what? Yeah. It's Satoshi Kon, mindfuck. This whole movie, like, is a mind screw. They call it in on tropes, you know, it's a mind screw yeah. and it's meant to not be able, it's literally meant to be a puzzle, unsolvable puzzle. And that's why I think it is so great. Why I've continually like, uh, just, I've just continually felt like it is one of the greatest movies of all time and deserves way more recognition. Yeah. And I can't wait to watch it again. Yeah. I only watched it that one time. It's one of those films that, like, one of those few films that really grabs you, and you are never the same again after you watch it. And I feel like it it's so important today, in this day and age, because not only, like, you look at the stuff that just happened with all those YouTubers getting, like, losing subscribers and stuff, like, the this story fits in our world better than it did in 1997 you know if in the world where like a small because she's not like a mega star i think that's what's so important to me about it she's not like a star it's not like a star is born where she's like um becomes a superstar or something it's like she is kind of like a small time celebrity who has this very devoted fan base but like 
random people in Japan probably don't know who she is. Right, you know? yeah. So, like, that makes way more sense nowadays where that is so much more commonplace where people have tiny little bit of fame that they, you know... And and yeah, the spark dies right. quick. And you go on Reddit, and everybody's like, "You're a piece of shit. You suck. Your fucking content sucks." And you're like, "Whoa, <laughs> I'm just out here trying to make a fucking dumb podcast and have a fun right. time. Like, yeah, why do sounds, you care?" Sounds like this yeah. is getting personal. Yeah, exactly. It's like sounds like you're jealous, buddy. You know, because you don't fucking have the balls to make a podcast or whatever. But so, um, another thing that makes this even more crazy and the last thing i will say about perfect blue tonight is that while i was researching for this i was reading kotaku.com one day and i found an article and i read the fucking title and i went you have got to be kidding me unbelievable the headline is man arrested and this is from japan man arrested after sending idol a death threat by fax i could not fucking believe it I mean, I think that says it all. After yeah, everything you said, you know, we decided to cover this movie, yep. and then the plot of the movie happens, <laughs> happens in real life. Yeah, just right <laughs> basically. away. Basically, and and so again, just proves how uh, how much this film still resonates today. Um, oh, I also I do want to mention this too. I'm really into like tropes and stuff. I read tropes.com a lot. Um, one of my favorite tropes is they call it bland name product, and it's when you have like you know like like i don't know like happy-os instead of cheerios or something it's like obviously supposed to be something else this film has the best one ever it has a nikon camera that appeals early on and a nikon f4 which is a real camera that shows up later the nikon is an in-universe example because it only appears in the set of double blind and the nikon is the photographer's real own camera so they put a bland name product in their in movie movie Whoa, yeah. that is cool. <laughs> exactly. That like, is that's fucking sick. cool. All right. So we're uh, wrapped up with Perfect Blue. I Take, just uh, interrupting you. I yeah, love yeah. that movie. I fucking love it, Me man. too. Um, Me too. Everybody has to watch that yeah, movie. Definitely. Immediately. Definitely. And I think we'll I think we'll revisit it at some point. Yeah, yeah. I think honestly it'd be fun to do like a whole episode. I'm gonna it. read the book and then watch the movie like <laughs> right. six more times. Right. And then I'm going to come at this gun's blazing. Nice. All right. I'm down for that. Hell yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we'll come back with Neo Yokio Pink Christmas. Tell me, Charles, does it get any worse than having a cold over the holidays? Your suffering knows no bounds, sir. It's the day before Christmas, damn it. I should be out buying sweaters and drinking peppermint lattes with my boys. Perhaps a story will lift your spirits. Hmm, that's an interesting idea. How about something festive? But of course. Let me see what Christmas stories I have available in my database. New Testament. Buckle up for a wild ride, sir. Matthew 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat... I'm going to stop you right there, Charles. Is there a problem, sir? Sorry, but I'm really not feeling this. Something tailor-made for a man of your exquisite taste and standing. Great idea. I do love original content. Where shall I set our story, sir? Huh. Maybe Neo Yokio? Present day? Very good. And who shall I make the main character? Maybe... How about me? Not an ego thing. Just so I can identify with it, you know? One moment as I shift into narrative improvisatory mode. pick for the week like i said last week i was cutting a real real thin line here about <laughs> what we're gonna accept as a movie but it's a christmas special it's over an hour long so i think it makes a cut um it came out in december of 2018 it was a tv episode of the netflix original series neo yokio uh it ran like i said for 66 minutes um it was created by Ezra Koenig. He is the frontman of Vampire Weekend. Yes. Um, which is a already a bizarre start to this. Um, it is directed by Kazuro Furuhashi. Uh, Kazuhiro Furuhashi. All right, hold on. Let me no get that worries. One. We'll, we'll cut this back and we'll get it back. Um, it is directed by Kazuhiro Furuhashi. Um, and. Oh, Jesus. Bro. Don't worry, I got this <laughs> all one. Right, hold on, yeah. Cut, right? yeah. <laughs> no, I'm leaving this all of this in. <laughs> uh, directed, yeah, it was directed by Kazuhiro Furuhashi, who also directed uh, the anime Ruroni Kenshin, which is fucking awesome. Um, he's not the creator, though. That guy's a pedo. But... <laughs> He directed the anime. <laughs> no! So don't think I was... I just wanted to clear that up for anybody because I... Sometimes people be like, whoa, you're talking about that guy? No, I'm not talking about that guy. Okay, thank um, God. And uh, so he directed... Uh, so this is... this is. I'm not sure which one of these guys because I couldn't find it out for sure. Directed... But I think it was Furuhashi who directed the Christmas special. This is who directed the episodes. Uh, Furuhashi directed the first two and last episode and then... Nishimura directed the middle two episodes of the show. Okay. Um, and it stars yeah Jaden Smith, Jude Law, Susan Sarandon, Jason Schwartzman, and Richard Aoyte, which is perfect. Yeah, it's good. It's pretty good cast. Back to the weirdness of yeah. the, this whole show in the first place. And uh, the music was by uh, Will Weisenfeld of Baths and uh, Devonte Hines, a.k.a. one of my favorites doing it right now, Blood Orange. Blood Orange, yep. Hell yeah. Yep. Taglines up, none. It's no a TV episode. Yeah. And I, I mean, like, I couldn't even find anything for this, which I was kind of surprised because usually there'd be, like, some sort of, like, tagline, but nothing on Netflix, nothing on the internet, so. Yeah, they just dumped it on yeah. us. You know, stream away. Exactly. Stream your life. So the critics do not like this show. <laughs> Generally, uh, it currently has 59% rotten. Um, however, on Rotten Tomatoes, Pink Christmas has a 100% positive rating. Could be because most of them seemed like they were fans of the show who reviewed it. So it could also be a case of like the 18 people who positively reviewed it 
or just 18 just fans. fans that yeah. aren't going to say something bad about it. Regardless. Yeah, and all the people who gave it a bad review didn't bother to come back and review Pink Christmas. But yeah. the critics' consensus is basically that it lacks an interesting plot or stimulating social commentary. Neo Yokio is a missed opportunity bound to bore or befuddle casual viewers and frustrate hardcore anime fans. But I kind of I mean, disagree. I could, I could see the latter, maybe. I can't. No, I disagree I with that because I'm. I would. That's kind of me. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's I'm, not I mean, me. So as our resident. Yeah. It didn't. <laughs> it didn't really me. frustrate me. I thought it was pretty cute. Uh, again, this. I'm not. That one could have been for the show. When you're. When I was trying to find information on it, it was kind of like a toss-up whether or not they were talking it about was the, the show, show or the movie. Or the movie. The, so they could have been talking about the show. Yeah. Um. But what I did find. Uh. So some positive reviews were completely refreshing. The first season took in Kotor, class, narcissism, capitalism, and NUI, but in a new eye, but never took itself too seriously. Christopher Hutan from the Independent UK. Big agree with that yep. guy. Uh, the next one we got Neo Yokio tends to present symbols, themes, iconography, and ideas that it has no intention of exploring in any depth, creating this glut of ways, uh, glut of always sloppy and sometimes offensive writing. Uh, says Maya Phillips, uh, Black Nerd Online. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of, I kind of can see where she's going with that. Though, yeah. again, I think Pink Christmas kind of lacks a lot of that. That's could be more talking about the show. Yeah. Um, she's harsh. Yeah, it is pretty harsh. <laughs> we also have. Uh, there's a lot of talent involved in Neo Yokio, yet somehow the show has no soul. It's dead on arrival. Oh come on, Shannon Lyle, come the on, Janet. I mean, again, I can't say. This is just what these people say. Um, but this is kind of what I... Th this is the, the one I like the best. Pink Christmas ostensibly provides what the entirety of Neo Yokio's first season couldn't. A contained world with fleshed out characters that doesn't stick around too long to let us see its deepest flaws. From Malik Adan of Shadow and Act. And that I think is is a pretty from again from looking at what people have said, that's kind of like what I take away from it. Like the show had a lot of issues and was like kind of on the right path, but people were like, it's just not, it's missing something. Yeah. And then it, they kind of figured it out when they made this. So I would, I kind of do hope that there's more uh, eventually episodes, um, because I would like to see them continue on what I saw. In, in this particular special. I thought it was good. Yeah. You know. I agree. That's why, that's why I picked it. I like it. <laughs> um, before we get in more of it, there's more random fun facts. Yeah. Um, since it, it was so recent, it's like we, we usually do these top songs and like, movies out. And they're like, like, oh, my God, it's a cool little time capsule. It's cool. My heart it's like, will go on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, word. The top song in the United States at the time was Sicko Mode. Which is still on the radio much, all the time. Yeah, exactly. And then the top song in the UK was "Thank You Next" by Ariana Grande, which is also still yeah. on the radio all yeah, the time. Yeah, so because this, yeah, I mean, really, this isn't even that long ago it's when this like came out. It's like six months ago. Yep. Which is pretty crazy. Yep. Like you said, newest one. Exactly. Other than uh, Detective Pikachu. Oh, true, true. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. We did cover <laughs> Pikachu. Um, yeah, this came out on December seventh, which is Pearl Harbor Day. Uh, Savage, uh, 21, 21 Savage. Savage, I'm sorry, I'm old, 21 <laughs> Savage forgot to release his album. Dude, it was like, it was unquote. hilarious. It was a Friday, and that's big music release right, day. Right, right. 
and he had this album that he was ramping up and pumping out like crazy, and then, and then nothing happened, and then he tweeted at like whoops <laughs> yeah he just tweeted goes damn i forgot to drop my album <laughs> and okay, it came out I a week did, later it's awesome yeah, i did see that like when it happened someone so re- fucking re- funny posted it or <laughs> uh the first trailer for avengers endgame came out that day if you remember that movie uh and that principal in okay you read this one yeah, i don't know what the a, fuck this is talking yeah, about this is a news one that okay. i found um a, pr- uh, a principal of a school in Nebraska banned candy canes that day because apparently the candy can is a J and a J obviously stands for Jesus. So candy canes, hard no. So wait, so are they religious or are they like atheists? I don't know. What was the deal there? Yeah. Because I was like, at first I was like, oh, those damn crit. Then I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, I this kind of sounds like he was like no Jesus no in Jesus school, or like trying to like separate like religion from school and yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, it's a candy cane. J isn't isn't spelled that way. You have to also yeah. turn the candy cane upside down. It says in yeah, the I name know, right? that it's a cane. It's shaped it's a cane. like a cane. It's a fucking cane, it's not, dude. It's not a candy letter J. This is that's it's a craziness. Candy cane. That is craziness. Lunatic. That yeah, because but it could. I think that's why because it also sounds like when someone's like. Trying to be like, oh, here's this Christmas thing, and here's how it has to do with Jesus, and you're like, it doesn't have anything to do with Jesus, and they're like, no, no, right. no, but the tree. It's like, <laughs> have you ever heard of a uh, Saving Christmas? No. It's this awful fucking movie. I want. I tried so hard to get Russ to watch it because <laughs> I just knew he'd hate it. It's um fucking what's his name, Kirk Cameron. Okay. And it's. Oh, I'm just gonna have to show it to you someday. It's we're gonna have to cover it. It's so bad, but basically that's what most of the movie is. There's this like. Kirk Cameron is like pro the commercialism of Christmas and his brother-in-law is like, no, this should be about the holiday. And then, and like we would think being in the right, like in most Christmas ones, we're like, no, no, it's about Jesus. It's about like, yeah, it's about family. Right. And, and then Kirk Cameron convinces him why Jesus would love him to have tons of money in a big house. What? And it's, yeah, no it's fantastically <laughs> bad. He doesn't That's even, do, awesome. he doesn't even do it well. And the guy's like, Oh my God, you're right. And the movie ends with a dance party. I'm not even wow. fucking kidding. Oh, we're going to have to watch it someday. Wait. So some other movies that came out this day were, uh, Mary queen of Scots. Then Margot Robbie, right? Yeah. I've heard it's good. I never saw yeah, it. Same. Um, Ben is back, which we mentioned on the podcast when we were talking a while ago, we mentioned about all these movies that came out. that were all about, uh, kids and their parents and kids, uh, struggling with addiction, like high school kids struggling with addiction and their parents. There was like three movies that all came out at the same time. One of them had, uh, fucking Michael Scott, whatever his name is from the office. Steve um, yeah. Steve Carell. <laughs> and, and, uh, then this one, which was, uh, uh, Julia Roberts, and uh, there was a th- another one, too. I forget who was in that. But anyway. And also, Jennifer Lopez's second act, which I think is a Netflix thing. Um, so not a lot sense. not a lot going on no. that day, though. I, like, I did hear Mary Queen of Scots was really good. I did, too. Yes. But, yeah, um, not too. So this is a, a movie about. Okay, so like again, I haven't seen the series, so this is this would be the way I would put it. So this is about a he's like a rich kid who his parents are dead, presumably, and he lives with his aunt who's very very mean, and he is kill he slays demons for her, and it's like a business. And people call them, and they like they they get paid. To they're slay like the demons. Ghostbusters. Yeah, basically. essentially they're the <laughs> Ghostbusters. Yeah, and but also 
he used to date this girl who just broke up with him named Kathy, I think. Yeah. And and he is number two on the list of eligible bachelors in this town, Neoyokia, which seems like it's like I don't know, it's weirdly like it's like modern, but also like kind of feels like it's like I don't know, in the like early 1900s in Europe or something. Yeah, it feels like a combination of like an early 1900s town combined with like a hyper-realistic New York City. Yeah. It's like, I think it's funny is like we were talking about Neo-Tokyo. Uh, yeah, Neo-Tokyo. Neo-Tokyo and, and Neo-Yokio. Neo- yeah. It's, yeah, it's very, um, it's like aristocratic. That's the whole thing, yeah. 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 Like they're, yeah, it's it's very driven on uh, modern fashion mm-hmm. and modern lug- luxury. Yeah, right at the beginning of the film, there's like a Gucci store. Yeah, it just pans shown. around. She yeah. has like Versace, Gucci, like yeah. Dolce Gabbana. Yeah. yeah, like all the whole thing. And so always... that, that's the whole thing with like the bachelor. So basically, you've nailed it. Right. They're just like these super ritzy rich kids, and whoever is the most successful at the time or whatever throughout the season. This doesn't have much to do with this one. But the 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 ranking right, there's, changes. Right, of and who's a, the most eligible bachelor. It's a con. It's on how dope are you? Exactly, kind of and thing. it's one of those like common anime tropes of like you know it where well I feel like a lot of animes feel like video games mm-hmm. in the way they're structured where like there's characters that are like mini bosses and under bosses on your way to the main bad guy, and uh, so like in this film and this yeah I guess it was called a film it, it's. Uh, <laughs> It's kind of like, it's kind of like, um, I'm trying to think of a good example. Well, technically the captains in Bleach, I don't know if you've ever watched that yep. show, how like you, you can lose your rank and like, you know, different captains are higher up on the list and whatever you're like. So there, I just find it's like a very common theme where they like doing stuff like that, especially in, you know, series anime, um, and yeah, so, ranking class and success right, right. and whatever. So it it felt like it feels like it kind of reminds me a little bit, honestly, of uh, like Shin Chan or other shows that are kind of like a loving mocking of anime. Like it, it it's kind of making fun of it, but in a way that's like shows that they they love. They're making fun of it because we like it. Like we're in on the joke, sort of, sort of making fun of it. That like. I think that's why a lot of critics don't like it and and why some hardcore anime fans don't like it, but why others do because they like get that it's like kind of like, hey, you know how we love this about anime? Well, that's the joke here, you know? Yeah. So I think that a lot of times people are actually missing jokes they don't get if they don't watch anime. Well, or... and a, a thing I see a lot in, in this show too and especially in this episode was I I feel that but I also feel that they're almost using anime as a vessel to make fun of modernization of civil uh, civilization and where people are at with social norms. Like there was that one scene where they're at the Secret Santa Exchange right. and they're talking about how this one of these guys works so hard. And he's like, "Hey, but don't don't discredit him. He runs a, a Twitter page that retweets like popular memes." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, that, yeah. And they're using that, and I feel like the the way they talk about high fashion, just so over the top ritzy, is in a way a mocking that. Oh yeah, and the whole thing with the Caprizi. The, yeah, and they turn into a streetwear yeah. company, the Caprizi yeah. Martini. Yep, and then yeah. they just turn it into a logo that people yeah. interact with. <laughs> just yeah, to take a picture. With yeah, it. exactly. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, the, and obviously, just the whole storyline of the sales clerk and him being like willingly subservient. 
to the upper class of Neo Yokio, and then like the demon tells him, "Oh no! Like, what if like you had power? Basically, like, do you have to do that?" Um, I liked that part of it. I also liked how like the movie just like it has just a really abrupt ending, and it it's it's kind of perfect in that way because like it, it you, you forget. I honestly forgot until like right near the end i was like oh yeah charles is telling this story this didn't actually yeah, it's happen. a story within a story yeah, it's yeah. just like a bedtime story <laughs> right, for cats right. so like none of this is real you yeah. know you like literally get lost in it and i loved that when it like snapped back and he's like did you like the story and he's like well i like parts of yeah he's it. Like, like what the fuck what the charles, fuck, charles? <laughs> yeah it was it was really like i don't know i found it really funny it, yeah it, i just find it very quirky accessible um i think it's a nice like lighthearted toe dip into anime for people right, that might right. not be too into the genre itself but also highlighting enough roots of the genre to appeal to totally. a big fan i loved uh you mentioned it earlier i loved the fucking the bachelor uh secret santa competition oh, thing. So that was funny. so funny that was like i think honestly the height of of what they did that was what i i kind of wished i had seen more there's a couple of like comedic anime shows that that feel like that constantly and i i also think that one of the knocks on this show is that it it relies a little bit too much on its stars rather than on like in on them being the main attraction rather than the writing and putting it together being the main attraction um, cause like, I think that it's like, I, I enjoyed it, but I wouldn't necessarily say that like, I found it super funny, you know, it was like, I liked it. It was good. There were some funny moments. It was more like, and maybe this is perfect cause it was a Christmas special, but it was more like, kind of like just nice and heartwarming and like the laugh out loud moments. I felt like were a little too spaced apart from each other, Yeah, you know, um, Maybe in a way that makes it better because, like, it's kind of, again, like Tim and Eric where, like, a lot of times their episodes aren't necessarily, like, laugh out loud funny the whole time. But then when they get you with one of those jokes, like, it just kills me and I'll be rolling on the floor laughing. Yeah, it's like a five-minute right, ordeal. Right, So, I also, I also wonder how much stuff I'm not getting because I am, you know, haven't watched the series. So, like... Yeah, I'm, when I picked this originally, I, I felt strongly that you or any of you guys listening can can jump into this and not need to watch right. the the six episode season leading up to it there's enough there there's continuity for the people who watch but i feel that it presents itself in a way that you can just dive in and not right, feel like you're missing right. too much there's certain one liners like continuity well, pullbacks like, from the season like, i well cuz like i do have some questions like what's the deal with the caprizi martini like why that sounds gross. Yeah. <laughs> and then at one yeah, point well, that's they say, like their brand. They, that's something right. They, but they, they, I forget what, what are they, what's the fucking shit that's in it? And he's like, Oh, the something didn't hold up too well in the can. Like, oh, he's saying the mozzarella. Mozzarella. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, it was. I was like, what was it? Yeah. Um, so yeah. So like that, like the whole Caprizi martini things, a call back to the show. Mm-hmm. And there was that one scene in the beginning when they're, it's already started the story, but they're at the mall and, the sales clerk's super stoked up. It's Christmas time, and it shows a woman like spraying this old guy with like oh yeah, 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 yeah. about it, and he's like, no, I you know my wife loves her like whatever number five like. 
that's a guy from the regular show. Oh, like, what was that? It was Babylon. Babylon number five. Number five. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like he buy like the the cutback to that is that he buys that specific perfume and like sprays it on his wife's grave. It's pretty fucking dark. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Like, because she, that's like her perfume. So right, he just goes right, and like right, sprays right. it on there. And then Kaz is like. Not to trail off too much, but Kaz just starts shitting on this old guy. He's like sitting next to his grave. He's like, "Damn, your wife like really has horrible taste. Like she should get the Versace." This oh and my that god, it's that's so bad. Great. It's so bad. <laughs> that's fantastic. It's so good. <laughs> okay, so that's good. Uh, what about? I had a couple more questions. Like I also wanted was wondering about. Um. Oh, what was it? Because I know there's one more, but I kind of wanted to save it for last that I do remember. But there's one other thing that I was like, what the fuck was up with that? <laughs> it was like, because there's a few, I don't know, there's just some confusing shit um, that I just think was like stuff that maybe boiled over from yeah. the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm pretty sure this one is. So the other thing that I really was like, what the fuck was that all about is kind of like basically how it ended. Not the ending of the story, but the ending of the actual movie, where all of a sudden that guy jumped out. I was like, "What?" I thought he was a robot. Dude, they don't show you that in the show until like four episodes or something. That's such a great. Dude, it's crazy, and so that is a spoiler alert. If you haven't watched it, actually, no, I'm gonna hold it because you gotta watch it. Yeah, but but that is the thing. Those robots, like, I'm pretty sure. Charles is the only one you see through the whole show. Right, but they're all but, like that. But assu- it, but like presumably everybody has one. Right, right. Like one of those robots. Well, cuz like there was also the thing where he was like, "Oh, I'm going to go. If you need me, I'll be with the other robots." Yeah, with the other the robots. robots. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And like you never see any of these other <laughs> right, robots. Right. Like you think Kaz is like the that only is, one. That is that is an interesting point. Yeah, I ne- there was nobody else's robot. In the show never, too, in yeah. those six episodes, you'd it's never crazy. see another robot and they just like imply that it's like this thing <laughs> right, is like, right. "Oh, I need to go to the charging station or <laughs> the store with the battery." It's like, "Dude, you're the only one." And you're like a weird little gremlin inside oh of God. a shell. Um, yeah, so I, I just really liked that. I thought it was quirky and fun. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it too. Nowhere. <laughs> like, I, I feel like this is like the second or third time this happened to me where it's, it's up against some serious fucking competitions. It it's is. basically like no contest for that one. Like, it's like, it's like going into uh, Final Jeopardy and <laughs> Neo Yokio has negative dollars. Yeah. So they're just like, they're like, like, you're on your way out exactly. before Final Jeopardy. But yeah. Even starts. And I mean, we were kind of talking about it off air, and if you're covering two films this big, uh, this would have, like, we try. I tried to like keep it as l- short as possible, because honestly, we could do a whole episode on Perfect Blue, and we could do a whole episode on Akira, um, just talking about everything involved with them. There's a lot of yeah. story there, and if you want to sit down one day and listen to this podcast and watch all three things. The Neo Yokio Christmas special is a good buffer between yeah, those two pretty fucking heavy hitting movies. And it's not like super Christmassy to the point where like I f- like I didn't feel like that was overbearing. I didn't feel weird watching it on my couch with the windows open in May. Yeah, exactly. You know, like I didn't feel strange. Oh, like, or like even just I didn't I felt like every time it would come back to a Christmas thing, I'd be like, Oh yeah, this is Christmas thing. <laughs> you know, it just wasn't overbearing yeah, it wasn't Christmas. Crushing you like, with, like holiday yeah, cheer, you know? Yeah. Well, and even just so many of those Christmas specials just 
bombard you with the fact that they are a Christmas special. Yeah. Instead of focusing on like what the actual story of the special is, you know, right, it's right. like, oh, it's Christmas. Well, that's a lot not of the Christmas story. Christmas trees yeah. and presents. Yeah. And Though red. I mean, he does fight Perfect a red. giant christmas tree yeah it does yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but but it doesn't even feel like it's a christmas no thing. It and it doesn't like even it's a big tree. it, it doesn't, doesn't even, even feel like a fight it's like a two second like clip of him fighting he like yeah. does a couple moves and then he kills it um but yes yeah, so i i would say it's it's like it's hard i don't want to give it a bad rating i would give it four out of five stars because i think it was pretty good um but like maybe like 3.5 honestly like comparing yeah. it to these two like because these two are both i give both of these five out of five yeah I, perfect Ac- blue yeah. and akira are easily five out of fives for me oh yeah i probably give pink christmas like a three three seven like 3.75 yeah. out of five or something yeah, yeah it's because i think it's also just again in comparison like if i was gonna just talk about like anime tv specials and like or ovas original video animations like it's honestly kind of just in there. It's, yeah, it's, it's it another one. Yeah, yeah exactly. It it's uh, not with, the best, but it's nowhere near the worst. Either. Right. And with Akira, I'd seen it before. It's I'm glad you guys picked it so we could rewatch it. I was really happy about yeah. that. Um, I definitely caught some new things that I hadn't seen. I hadn't watched it in a solid five yeah. years at least. I actually, so I felt good. interestingly enough, I watched it. So I have two copies of it. I have a VHS with the original dub that nobody likes. And then I have the DVD with the the dub that everybody knows. Um, And so like about a month ago, I watched the VHS just on a whim. And then before the final, before like the vote was even like really started on it, I just was like, oh fuck it, I'll watch Acura because I had nothing to do. And I was like, just in case it gets picked. Yeah, right. (laughs) So I I was like, nice. Now I don't have to like watch that again. Right. Um, And then Perfect Blue, I, I couldn't stop thinking about it for like a week almost after my first watch of it. I think that is after a rewatch and more digesting of it, I think that's going to creep up my list of just yeah, all timers. It's amazing, dude. It's so fucking it's good, man. Yeah. I think uh, whereas Akira is probably more popular and definitely more influential on American audiences I think Perfect Blue is one of the, probably the most influential film, at least other than Akira. It's like one and two with directors. Because, like, what Perfect, and I think even more so with Perfect Blue because of what it did with uh, a style of film. Like, we read earlier with the, the quote of someone saying how it was Hitchcock like or Hitchcock style. It was very much like Hitchcock. But it's has its own unique brand on it. Like Cone had his own style, and the fact that he took like an anime and turned it into like a camera, essentially. Like another thing that I really love, uh, not to I, again. I'm gonna talk about I talk about Perfect Blue forever. <laughs> it's like my favorite movie, as I've said 15 times. But one other great thing about it is the way that like Mima's apartment is like a TV screen. It creates this like intimacy with her. She is, I think, one of the best characters in film. You're immediately, you fall in love with her. You become her. 
you identify with her better than almost any character ever. And so that to me, when it comes to anime, the fact that that's done with an anime means that this film is on like a totally another level. And so to me, I think Perfect Blue is the greatest animated film ever made. I give it a hundred percent, folks. Yep, I give it a hundred percent. Certified fresh. Yeah, it's the winner. Yeah, it's easily the winner. Yeah. Right. Akira, I probably we give both it, have the same order. Yeah. Hate, to, hate to do that to you guys, yeah. but it was fucking pretty clear. I'd probably say Akira, I give it like ninety two percent, and I'd give uh, Neo Yokio like eighty five. It's you know. Wow, that's yeah, wow, that's yeah. stronger than I. I, I mean, I really it, yeah. enjoyed it. I I want to watch the show now. I am a little bit like hesitant i am gonna watch it but i'm only like you know internally hesitant because yeah. of what i've read about it but for basically for what it's worth if you just want to take like the time you would spend to watch akira and just watch neo yokio like you'll have time to go to the bathroom right, and make right, a sandwich right. in between well six, i know six that, episodes 20 minutes you... i know that if i watch one episode i'll know from there if i get through one episode and i like it then i'll continue and i'll finish it uh usually Especially if it's only six episodes, but if I if I can't if I don't like it from the first episode, then I'll just be like, ugh, and I'll Pass. never. Yeah, it's like I'll be like, well, maybe one day I'll finish it, like, cause I'll be like, oh, I should give it another chance, but then it's just, yeah, so, then it becomes a chore. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's as far as anime goes, um, it's tough talking about like anime films and anime in general because they're vastly different. I think even like anime films like Cowboy Bebop or, you know, other that are based on a a television series, they go to a totally different level, you know, like that, that was one that was close to being picked along with, you know, with Akira, a Cowboy Bebop movie, I mean, and it, that's another one that I would have loved to watch because it's a really great film. It's standalone. I was borderline banking on it. <laughs> yeah, me too. I, I honestly, I watched Akira partially because I thought Cowboy Bebop was going to win. And I was like, oh, I might as well watch Akira because if it does win, I'll be all set. But if not, hey, then yeah, no, right. just, I could talk about that a little bit. Um, I think that when it, but it, yeah, I guess it just boils down to, I think that when it comes to anime movies, Perfect Blue is is the only one yeah. that matters. I agree. <laughs> you know, you heard it it's here. the top one. So, Perfect Blue is our winner this week. That means I'm I got two in a row. Ugh. Yeah. Fuck. I'm rocking it. I'm <laughs> next, rocking it. I think next next week though we're not even next week. I think we're gonna blast since the next one out. The next episode Pretty is gonna soon. be interesting. Yes. Because yeah. well, anime is coming to an end. So yes. We're gonna fly through this one. Right, but we're gonna have one more anime episode, and that will be on specifically the filmography of one Miyazaki Hayao. Um, so at this point, we have our two films picked, and we will soon have the group pick. Uh, I picked Porco Rosso. I picked Ponyo. On a cliff by the sea, yes. Yeah, I know the American is. title is only Ponyo, know, but in it's, Japanese it's Ponyo it's, on a cliff by the sea. I which feel like I love. all the titles are <laughs> yeah. on a blank by the yeah, blank. Yeah, well, in America they in blank yeah. on the blank. <laughs> in America they do just refer to it as Nazca usually, even though it's Nazca of the Valley of the Wind. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm saying <laughs> you know, it's a lot always, of yeah. a lot of ofs in there. <laughs> Yeah, it's blank yeah. of the element of the location. But that's because in <laughs> Japanese, that's one word, and it sounds cool. Yeah, you know true. the w- like. I mean, we saw a little bit of it tonight, and some of the w- the words we were looking at, like there, it's a different way that the language works, and yeah. it sounds cooler when <laughs> when you read it in Japanese than you do when you translate it to English. And there's no way of like saying exactly that in 
unless you translate it that literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, the group I think is kind of it's coming down to it looks like it's probably going to be Spirit Away or Howl's Moving Castle or Princess Mononoke, which is kind of what I would expect. They're probably his three most say, popular films. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I picked Porco Rosso because a lot of people haven't seen it. I'm glad you picked Ponyo because it's one of my favorites. And I and I think that as big as it was, it's also one of his underrated films. Yeah. Because um, it's kind of seen more as like a, ch- a child's movie, kid's movie sort of thing. Um, but yeah, so that will be our next episode. Hell That'll yeah, be super fun. Uh, I love Miyazaki. I own all of his movies so uh i'm probably gonna watch a couple more of them uh in fact in fact dylan for your viewing pleasure because you guys at home can't see this if i just uh minimize this row oh look at that oh look at that beautiful background yeah my right background there. is a is just revolving images from miyazaki movies oh my God. yeah i love miyazaki <laughs> he's my favorite so uh yeah i hope you enjoyed this episode of the show yeah we, we loved it. Yeah, yeah, we had a good time. Please, please we rate us. Do. Yeah, review like, us. share, subscribe. We got a reviewer who reviewed us. I think it's somebody you know because they pointed out how they liked, they liked your infuriating laugh. And they said they were a based god. So I don't think that they were actually Lil B, but maybe. You know <laughs> what? As far as I'm concerned, Lil B did yeah. it. So. <laughs> we'll find out yeah. who you are. But they liked how much I knew about movies. And I said... Thanks for inflating my ego. <laughs> That's the last yeah. thing we need, guys. Don't right. include that Don't in reviews. <laughs> please. Please tell me how beautiful I am. No. <laughs> so, yeah, like he said, like, share, subscribe, review. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. Please give us five stars. It'd be nice. Um, Do it without yeah, and also join the Facebook group. We have a lot of fun on there. Yeah, you pick what we watch. Yeah. And we just Literally like... You pick it. We share silly stuff. We put up polls. We do lots of great stuff. So. Oh, yeah, we do. I got to bring back the... Yeah, man. Yeah, you got to bring yeah, back your yeah, polls. Yeah, they were fun. They were coming back, man. See, I'm not even going to say more about it. You have yeah. to join the group to figure out what it's about. Yeah. yeah. It you yeah. got to be in the know to know. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So with that, we'll uh, bid you adieu. And, thanks, uh, guys. Yeah, thanks for listening. Have a good night. And we will see you next time. So don't forget to listen. I don't even know what the fuck I'm saying. I had two beers. We're out of control. You know what they say about Texas? Steers and beers. (laughs) That's not what they say. Uh, Anyway. Yeah. Good night. Good luck, and go fuck yourself. We love you.